All right. Well, for our last scripture reading, uh, we are going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8. And you can find that in your pew Bibles on page 1789. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Thus ends our reading of God's saving word. May all who hear it hold firmly to this gospel. Well, this is my last sermon as your pastor. And this moment, it brings me both sadness and, and joy. Sadness because this means that I will soon be leaving a family that I love. And over the years, I have developed a great fondness for each and every person in this room. And there is definite, definite heartache in knowing that we will be going our separate ways. And yet I have joy as well, for I, I, I get one more chance. I get one more opportunity to, to open up Scripture and proclaim to you the Word of God. And so today I will preach to you as if I were a dying man preaching to dying people. As if I knew that after I left this pulpit that our Lord would descend from heaven and the day of judgment would be upon us. And so the message that I will bring to you, it will not be soft, nor will it be pleasing. Rather, it will be in earnest and delivered with great pleading. Some of you may be shocked by what I say. Others of you, you might become angry. And that's okay. For I would rather leave this church with you hating me because I spoke to you the truth than to leave this church as your best friend because I told you the things that your heart wants to hear. Because I left you with a false sense of security. You see, today there is not a more important message that, that I could preach to you than the words that you're about to hear. There's not a more important message than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so like Paul, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Now, before I get into the passage, let me give you a little bit of context as to why Paul wrote these words in the first place. Paul was speaking to the church in Corinth. And if you know anything about this church, this church had a laundry list of issues. There was division within that church. 
There was sexual immorality of a perverse kind. There was disputes regarding trivial matters. And Paul even had to, had to correct their form of worship because it was not orderly and they were not showing reverence to God. And what is said about this, this laundry list that we see from the church in Corinth is, is that we could probably make a similar, similar list for practically every church in America today, including this one. But there was one more thing that Paul needed to address in this letter. One more problem uh, on which he could not be silent. And this was an issue that was probably the root cause of all those other issues. For a, a false teaching had, had snuck its way into the church. And this false teaching struck at the heart of the gospel. In other words, it was a heretical teaching. You see, the, the, there were people within that church who had believed that those who had died in the Lord, those who had died in Jesus Christ, would not be raised. That there would be no resurrection of the dead. And that's a problem. Here, here's the thing. It, it is our theology, our, our beliefs about God that, that drive our actions, how we behave. And so if there is sin within a church, if there is disunity and disputes, if there is irreverence towards God, then the root cause probably stems from a faulty view of who God is or, or what God has done. And this is exactly what we see in this Corinthian church. A heretical view regarding God's saving work. This, this teaching had had crept into this church, and it was causing chaos. And so Paul needed to deal with it. And what is the best way to deal with a heresy? By attacking it with the gospel. By preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul did for this church in Corinth. Look at verse 1. Now, brothers... I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. This message, this gospel that the Apostle Paul was about to give them, it was a reminder. In other words, they had heard this message before. And they had heard it from Paul before. And yet, apparently, they needed this reminder. Why? Well, because there were some of them who had left the gospel. Here's the thing. The gospel is not just a message that we only bring to, to the unbelieving world. The, the gospel is for believers as well. It, it's not something that we hear once, believe, and then move on from. No. We need to be reminded Reminded of this message on a daily basis. For, for it is the gospel that, that, that shapes us in our walk with Christ. It, it forms us into his image. It is God's kindness that leads to repentance. That's what Paul wrote to the Romans. During, during my time here as your pastor, it, it was my goal to preach the gospel each and every Sunday. 
Now, I don't know how successful I was at this. But hopefully, over these past five years, you, you have heard the gospel clearly from this pulpit. That, that, that you know of the saving work of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That you are not ignorant of, uh, of what he accomplished at the cross and at the empty tomb. Dear friends, you need the gospel just as much as the unbelieving world needs the gospel. It's how you grow. It's how God sanctifies you. Going back to our passage, uh, one of the other things that we should notice is that, that this gospel message is something that needs to be preached. In other words, it has to be communicated. I, I think all too often we get the gospel confused with things that the gospel is not. And a common error is thinking that somehow our, our good deeds can fill in as the gospel. That just by loving our neighbors that we will somehow communicate what a, what a person needs to hear about salvation. But the gospel is not something that we do. It is, it is something that Christ did. It is a message of something that happened. I mean, after all, gospel, what does it mean? It means good news. It is an announcement. An announcement that must be heralded. And so we must communicate what Jesus did by using words. Bottom line, if words are not spoken, then the gospel has not been preached. But the Apostle Paul had preached the gospel to this church. And he said that they had received it. And that they had taken their stand upon it. Now, most likely, this, this meant that there was some type of persecution going on. Whether they were being ostracized by their neighbors or, or something far worse, we don't know. But this means that at one point in time, in order for the, this crew, this church in current, these people to become Christians, they had to count the costs. And this is where we often see another error when it comes to the gospel. All too often, this message gets shared without any warning of the cost of this message, of what it will bring to a person in this life. Sure, we share about Jesus and, and about all the benefits that he will bring to us, but we neglect to mention that, that having him as our king means to have the world as our enemy. Look at, look at the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 18. These are the words of Jesus. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Or how about Matthew 10, verse 34? Do not suppose I, that I have come to bring peace on, to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Let me ask you, when was the last time you heard the gospel shared with a warning like that? 
How many times have you cautioned someone that to follow Christ will mean that they will most likely be hated by those who are closest to them? And yet Jesus spoke this way all the time. And apparently so did Paul. Because Paul knew that to have Jesus as your king was to have the world as your enemy. And that is why these believers in Corinth had to take their stand. But it was a stand worth taking. It was worth it. Why was it worth it? Look at verse 2. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. By this gospel, you are saved. Think about that. Believing in the gospel, it's worth the world hating you. Because belief in the gospel is the only thing that can rescue you. It's the only way that you can be delivered. For it's only through faith in, in this message, in the message of Jesus Christ, that you can discover true hope. That's why this is good news. Good news about Jesus. For he is your only way to the Father. There is no other path. There is no other route. And yet, Paul added in this word, if. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Dear friends, belief in the true gospel will ultimately lead to a steadfast faith. This means that those who, who have a genuine trust in, in Jesus Christ will hold firmly to the truth. They will not try to change the gospel message. They will not try to swerve to the right or swerve to the left from what is written in God's word. Rather, they will remain firm. I believe that there are many today who, who think they are saved but are not. They, they want Jesus, but they want him on their own terms. And so they create this God of their own making. They, they compromise the truth to fit what, what their itching ears want to hear. And rather than submitting to the gospel that was originally preached to them, they, they try to make the gospel fit into their own narrative. In other words, they, they refuse to bend the knee to what God's word says. And I believe in America we have become experts at this. Experts at creating a religion that resembles the Christian faith and yet has none of the saving power of Jesus Christ. You want to know why people come into the church, hear the gospel preach, say they believe in Jesus, and yet two months later they are out the door never to be seen again? Do you want to know why the, the, these folks don't stay? It's because they never really embraced the word that was preached to them. They never really embraced the true Jesus. They are like the rocky and thorny soils. Here's the thing. There, there is a difference between wanting some of Jesus and wanting all of Jesus. And what most people want is they want justification. 
They want to hear that their sins are forgiven. And that's a good thing to want. But what they don't want to hear are, are, are the words, go and sin no more. In other words, they, they don't want God's sanctification. They don't want God to continue to save them. But you can't have the one without the other. You either have to take all of Jesus or you take none of them. Odds are there, are there are some of you in this room who are not saved. You may think you are saved, but you are not. Now, I don't know who you are. I'm, I'm not God. But, but ask yourself, have I embraced the true Jesus? Or have I created this, this false Jesus over here who conforms to what, what, what I want him to be? Listen. Only those who embrace the whole of the gospel will be able to hold firm. But if you only want a portion of it, if you just take the chunk that you, you like and you, and you toss the rest into the trash bin, then you have believed in vain. If you like this part of Jesus but don't care for the rest of, rest of him, then, then you have yet to be saved. And so ask yourself, Really ask yourself, am I saved? Have I embraced the whole of the gospel? Do I trust in this Jesus even when it will cost me? Even when what he teaches is the exact opposite of what I want to be true? Friends, the, the, the end goal of salvation isn't for God to create some world that conforms to your wishes. No. The end goal of salvation is for God to conform you. So that you might fit into, into the kingdom that he is bringing. The, the, the gospel shapes you into the image of Christ and not the other way around. And when Christ returns... He will bring with him a new heavens and a new earth. And it will be a place that aligns perfectly with God's will. And not with your will. And if you don't see Christ as your treasure. If he isn't your all in all. If he isn't the one whom you want most. Then you don't belong. And you don't belong because you are not saved. And you need to repent. That's why the gospel is important. It is a message of vital, vital importance. But what is the gospel? I've talked about the importance of the gospel, what, but what is the gospel? Look at, look at verses 3 and 4. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Again, we see Paul stressing the, the, that the good news of Jesus Christ is of first importance. It is the heart of the Christian faith. And there are five things, 
Five things that he communicates here that is the gospel message. The first being Christ. It's the first word he uses, Christ. Christ is a title. It means king or anointed one. It's the title of the one who fulfills all the messianic prophecy that, that, that has been written down in the Old Testament concerning God's deliverance. And, and this is who this Jesus is. He is your king. He is your savior. He is your Christ. He is the one who rescues and no one else. And so the first thing that, that this gospel teaches us is that this message is Christological. It is about Jesus and not about you, though it has an effect upon you. And so if Christ is not preached, then the gospel isn't preached. But how does Jesus rescue you? How does he do it? Christ died. Yes, he died. He, he was nailed to a cross where he bled and suffered, and eventually he gave up his spirit and breathed his last. He was gone. He was lifeless. He was dead, dead. This is why Paul said that he was buried. For they put his body in the ground, and they sealed the tomb. Because what he went through, nobody comes back from but how does a dying man rescue us? Christ died for our sins. You see, the rescue that you need is a rescue from God himself. It's neither the devil nor the world who can truly harm you. Sure, they can, they, they can make your life miserable in this fallen world that we live in but they really have no power when it comes to your eternal state. Look at, look at Matthew 10, verse 28. Again, these are the words of Jesus. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. <clears throat> who is the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell? God Almighty. He is the one whom you should fear and no one else. And why should you fear him? Because you're sinners. Because you have spurned him. You, you have turned your back on him each and every time you sin. And your sins are many. That's who you are. You're a sinner who despises your creator. Now, now you may be thinking to yourself, but pastor, why should God be angry with me? Sure, I, I may have sinned against these other people, but I've always asked for forgiveness and those people have always forgiven me. And if they can forgive me, then why shouldn't God? Listen to the words of King David in Psalm 51. Look at verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. 
Now, David had written these words right after he was rebuked by the prophet Nathan. And what did Nathan rebuke him for? Well, one, he, he committed adultery. He, he, he slept with Bathsheba. Two, when he, when he found out that Bathsheba was pregnant, he, 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 he tried to trick Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, into coming back home and, and sleeping with his wife so he would think that he got her pregnant. Well, when that didn't work, because Uriah, he was, he was a man of war, and he wouldn't sleep with his wife during war. And so he sent him back out to the field. He, sent, he, he, he wrote a, a handwritten letter, gave it to Uriah. It was sealed, so he didn't read it. Give this to your general. He brought it to his general. What did it say? Send Uriah to the front lines, and then fall back. Make sure he dies. He basically murdered Uriah. Now let me ask you, who did David sin against? Bathsheba? Uriah? Uriah's general whom he ordered to have Uriah killed? I mean, there were a multitude of people from whom David needed forgiveness. And yet, he says, against you, you only, have I sinned. Now how can he say that? This is David's poetic way of saying that the most offended party was God. Yes, God was the most offended party. More than Bathsheba, who lost her husband. More than Uriah, who who was not only betrayed by his king when David slept with his wife, but, but was also murdered by this same man. God was the most offended party. Dear friends, when you sin, God is the one who takes most offense. Because when you sin, what you are ultimately doing is is shouting to God, I don't care about you. I don't care about your ways. All I care about is myself. For that is what sin is. It is replacing God with with something else, something that you deem to be right. And that is why, that is specifically why Jesus needed to die. So that he could pay the penalty that you deserve. So that you could be forgiven. So that you could be rescued from the wrath. Yes, the wrath of God. Look at Romans 3, verses 25 and 26. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to the just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Jesus' death atones for the sins of those who have faith in him. His is the necessary blood that was needed for God's wrath to be appeased. But Jesus' death isn't the last word of the gospel. For Paul then also stresses that Christ was raised on the third day. In other words, Jesus defeated death. 
And, and it is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that those who believe in him may have eternal life. And it is this point that, that our apostle desires to stress with these Corinthians. For, for the false teaching that had slipped through the cracks was that there was no resurrection of the dead. Listen to Paul's words in, in verses 20 and 22. 20 through 22. Look at this. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead all, comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. You see, without the resurrection, Without Jesus being raised from the dead on the third day, you would have no hope. You would have no victory. But Jesus did rise from the dead. And so all those who have faith in them, they too will one day come up from their graves and find welcome into God's eternal kingdom. Listen, we are eternal beings. Death is not the end. And how you spend that eternity will ultimately come down to whether or not you have repentant faith in Jesus Christ. Whether or not you turn from your sins and trust in this one who died for you and rose from the dead. But there is one more thing that Paul stresses in this gospel message. And in fact, he says this phrase twice. According to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. In other words, this, this gospel message is in agreement with all of God's word. God had ordained this from the beginning. He had ordained to save mankind in this way. This was his perfect plan of salvation. There was no plan B. And the words that we find in the Old Testament support this. One just has to go to a passage like Isaiah 53 to discover this to be true. I commend you to read all of the verses, but look at the end of it. Look at verses 10 through 12. And here we see the suffering of Christ and also the resurrection of Christ. Look at, look at 10 through 12. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This was written over 600 years before Jesus was born. And yet, what we see described here is exactly the gospel message. God foretold the work of, that he would do as he described in great detail the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he did so hundreds of years before Jesus was born. 
All this to say that, that, that Jesus was God's plan from the get-go. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. This is God's plan of salvation. There is no other. Well, we have talked about the importance of the gospel, and we have heard, now heard the gospel, but what about the evidence of the gospel? I mean, is this message really true? Well, we have already seen some of the evidence through the Old Testament witness, right? Through Isaiah 53. But the Apostle Paul, he wanted to give more. And so let's look at the end of our passage. Look at verses 5 through 8. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. What Paul is doing here is emphasizing to these folks that the resurrection really happened. That it isn't just some myth. Rather, it is grounded in the truth. And if you had any doubts then there were people who were still alive, including the apostle himself, who could bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is important for us as well. Think of it this way. How do we know anything when it comes to the history of our world? It is through the eyewitness accounts. And how do we know that Washington crossed the Delaware? How do we know that Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492? How do we know that Alexander the Great conquered much of the world as he went all the way into India? It's because of the eyewitness accounts. You see, the manner in which we have access to these events is the same manner in which we have access to the events surrounding Jesus. I mean, prior to the invention of the photograph, this is how all of history was recorded for us. And this is why Paul puts such a heavy, heavy emphasis on the eyewitness accounts and their reliability. For he was persuading these folks that this gospel that he preached was grounded in in a historical event. And this is what makes Christianity so much different than any other religion. For the Christian faith, it stands or it falls on the validity of a historical event. On the legitimacy of the, res- of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look a little further in this chapter. Look at verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Did you catch that? If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If you could prove that Jesus did not rise from the dead, then what would you be left with? Absolutely nothing. And so the question you must ask yourself today is this. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if he did, then it is incumbent upon you to repent and believe. 
For this is what Jesus commands of you. Listen to the words of our Lord from the Gospel of Matthew. Look at Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Dear friends, the gospel isn't some suggestion that you can just take lightly. The gospel is a command. Jesus isn't asking you. He's, he's telling you. Repent. Turn from your sins. And look to the only one who can truly save, truly save you. Listen, I, I don't say all these things to make you feel bad. That, that's not what I'm trying to do. I, I, I'm saying these things because I love you. I, I say them because I don't want to see anyone in this room go to hell. But if you don't have Jesus, that's exactly where you'll end up. In hell for all eternity. And so my hope my, my desire as I step down from being your pastor and, and step forward as, a, as just another brother in Christ is that you would believe the good news, is that you would turn from your sins and that you would trust in Jesus, that you would hold firm to the gospel that I preached to you over these past five years so that you have not believed in vain. What Jesus did is of first importance. And so I'm asking you today to submit to his command, the command of the gospel. Turn from your sins and trust in this Jesus. He truly is your only hope. Let us pray. Father, we come to you now with humbled hearts, knowing that we are sinners who cannot save ourselves. And that is why we are so grateful for your son. He truly is our only hope. And, and so we ask that you would produce faith in each one of us here so that we might hold firmly to the gospel that was preached to us, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. We can only believe this through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask, help us to believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.